in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And you know we love firsts here on the No Outlet Podcast. And tonight, well, tonight is another first for the uh, No Outlet Podcast. The first person, our guest tonight, is the first person who has ever given a TED Talk and is the first actual animal expert that we've ever had on the show. I met this nice woman uh, right before COVID, uh, really messed things up. We started off as an improv class that was face-to-face. By the time it was over, it had converted to an online improv class. Not nearly as fun, but still we made the most of it. And I remember her being smart and funny, and I also knew that she was into penguins. But what I did not realize is that not only is she into penguins, but she is the penguin lady. Uh, but I do know now, and I'm very happy. Happy, I'm very happy. I'm so excited, I can't even talk. I'm very happy to have her on the show. So please help me welcome to the No Outlet Podcast the one and only penguin lady, Diane DiNapoli. Did I say your name right? DiNapoli. DiNapoli. That sounds so yep. much better and so much more Italian. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to play a game called 20 Questions, Diane, and it always starts in the exact same place, and that's question number one. Question number one, do you believe in reincarnation? Oh, yeah, actually, I, I do. I, I definitely have people in my life, and we both sort of agree that we feel like we have done this before, not yeah. our first rodeo with each other. Yeah, I do. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Yeah, because I, you instantly recognize them when you meet them. Yes, and you're not. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, it's like I think back to certain times in my life when I was younger, and and I'm not calling myself wise now, but I certainly was less wise back then. And you know, I, you feel something the first time you meet somebody, but you're not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as you keep going and you meet more people and you have you know better conversations, deeper conversations. I've, I come to the exact same conclusion that there's absolutely people that I've run into uh, previously and maybe not even as a person, maybe as some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, seabird, you know, who knows? Right? Yeah. You never know. Yeah. All right. So you are the penguin lady, undisputed. I am. Yes. And when was your first memory? And we can go way back before schooling and all that stuff. But I'm curious, when your first memory, when you thought, wow, those – those animals that are birds but can't fly but can swim really good. They can't walk that great, but they're kind of cool looking. When was the first time you saw them? It was just like, I am attracted to the to learning more about these creatures. So, all right, there's going to be sort of a two-part answer to that because Love I can it. tell you the first time I encountered penguins, but that was not actually when I went, oh, wow, these guys are pretty cool because when I was five, I first – saw dolphins and I'd already seen the show Flipper on TV. So I was already obsessed with dolphins. I'd always loved animals, always loved the ocean. And then when I was five, we, my parents brought me to the aquarium in Florida and I, they could not drag me away from the dolphin tank. Like I just was absolutely mesmerized. And I was like, I got to do that someday. But it just seemed like a fantasy, you know, like who really does that? So it was a fantasy thing. Um, but then when I was eight years old, the New England Aquarium was built in Boston. So I'm mm-hmm. aging myself. That was, I think, 1969. Yeah, no and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we did a school field trip to the aquarium. 
And that was my first encounter with penguins. And I remember, I only remember two things from that, that trip. And one was the, um, there was a, a whale hanging from the ceiling and the baleen plates in the whale. It yes. was like a fake skeleton, right? Yeah. I remember that. And I do remember the penguin exhibit because it was in this little corner and it was this glass wall and behind it were about a dozen penguins. But what I remember the most was the stench because <laughs> <laughs> it was so horrific yeah. because they're penguin poo. This really acidic guano that they have and they're eating fish. It just stinks. Yeah. Uh, and so that was my first real memory. When I first sort of became enamored with penguins was 30 years later. Um, I went back to college actually when I was 32 to pursue working with dolphins. So, oh, okay. yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that happened in between, but I went back to college for a second degree, uh, a bachelor degree in animal science and with the goal of working with dolphins. And I had an internship in Hawaii working with dolphins and became a dolphin trainer. And it was freaking awesome. Fun. Uh, and, but then I had an internship at the New England Aquarium with penguins in my senior year. And the, I just remember the first day getting into a wetsuit, climbing down into that exhibit with freezing cold water up to your chest. And I'm surrounded by 60 honking, braying penguins. <laughs> and I'm like, these guys are kind of cool, too. So that was how the whole penguin thing started. Wow. That is so, you know, it's so funny you bring up the, uh, so I, I grew up in New Hampshire. And every year, at least twice a year, it would be a field trip that the school and then the uh, recreation program would take us on down to the aquarium. And, mm. and I remember, you know, seeing that, I know that thing that, that whale that was hanging from the ceiling. I remember seeing that. And there was this TV commercial for the New England aquarium and they used mm -hmm. to play it over and over again on channel 38 and 56, which is where all the best shows were after school, Brady Bunch, That's true. You know, all that. And, and the one thing speed I remember racer. about that speed racer, absolutely. <laughs> and the one thing I remember about all those, com that one commercial was there was this little kid. I forget if it was a little boy or a girl, but this little kid and <clears throat> with the parents, and they're at the penguin exhibit. They're looking at the penguins, and the kid starts walking like a penguin, and he mm -hmm. goes, I can walk like a penguin. <laughs> and so for some reason, that little ditty uh, permeated through Rye Elementary School, and everybody was – it was <laughs> like mimicking the stupid commercial. Do you remember that commercial? You know, everybody talks about that commercial. I do not remember it, but oh I've goodness. seen it on YouTube yeah. because everybody talks about it and everybody says they remember it. And for some reason, I don't recall yeah. that that commercial, but um, I, I have seen it. Well, they got their money's worth out of it because here I am. I, apparently. Right. Many years <laughs> later talking about it. Um, okay. Yeah. So here comes uh, an ignorant penguin question. So, uh, you know, I'm not a big dog person, but I've owned dogs for years um, and with a dog, and with and I love dogs, don't get me wrong, but with a dog, you know, there's a clear ability for that dog to recognize humans, whether it's smell or it's energy or it's look. They can definitely recognize, okay, there's my owner, there's my mm -hmm. owner's friend, this, there's a bad guy, whatever it might be, right? And you can see mm -hmm. that recognition. So yeah. do penguins have that same ability to recognize humans and show that they recognize you? 100%, yes. Wow. They definitely, and they even have preferences for certain individuals. So, and I'm talking about animals in a zoo or an aquarium, okay. you know, in the wild, you know, unless you're a researcher who's out in the field with them all the time, you know, they might get to recognize those individuals. But 
in a zoo or an aquarium with people that they, you know, are taking care of them and they see all the time, they absolutely recognize you. They recognize you visually and they also recognize the sound of your voice. That's amazing. Um, and that's how they recognize each other is primarily through the sound of the voice. Um, and the really fascinating thing was even after I stopped working at the aquarium, I was there for nine years. When I would go to visit, you know, my former coworkers, mm -hmm. and I would walk by the penguin exhibit and they would hear my voice. You, some of them, like the ones especially that I hand raised, yeah. they'd start honking and braying and they'd come swimming across the exhibit um, over oh towards where I was to greet me. That is and so I'm like, cool. it is, right? Like the coolest thing to be remembered by a penguin. That, honestly, <laughs> for real. I mean, yeah. it, you know, that and, and it, you know, it, it just goes to show it's like, so first of all, I'm picturing the first thing you said when I heard you say that's how they recognize other penguins, too, is by their voice. So I'm picturing just like a sea of penguins, not literally, mm -hmm. but like a, a crowd of penguins walking on an ice sheet someplace and just hearing this din of noises. Yeah. And somehow yeah. they would all sound the same to me. But somehow these penguins are like, oh, Fred's like 30 meters to the left. He's right over there, you know. It's pretty impressive yeah. stuff. Well, it's like think about, you know, in the classroom, right, as a kid. And mm -hmm. there's, what, 30, 40 kids in the class and your teacher. And, and, and if everybody's yelling and screaming, you can pick out the voice of the people that you know, right? That's like, true. That is true. Yeah. So it's similar. Except, you know, yeah, they are in a colony. Sometimes it might be. 10,000 penguins, it might be half a million penguins. Wow. And somehow they manage to find their partner still, That's which incredible. is, or the parents, you know, find the chick, which is pretty remarkable. So how does it feel to know that you are partially responsible for saving 40,000 penguins? Wow. That it's, um, I have to, it's a very humbling feeling. Mm -hmm. It do it being part of that rescue effort. I really feel was an extraordinary privilege to be able to take part in it and to have, you know, to play an important role in that, a yeah. management role. Um, it, it, you know, and I certainly, it, it was a massive group effort. You know, there yeah. were, over the course of this penguin rescue in South Africa that you're talking about, um, there were 12,500 volunteers who came to help us who had no experience doing anything like this. Wow. And there were only about 110 experts like myself who were there staggered over three months uh, to be there to train and supervise them. Uh, and so without those 12,500 volunteers, we could not have saved those birds. 12,500 volunteers. Yeah. That is incredible. Truly. Yeah. It is. Wow. It's extraordinary. And they didn't have to be there. You know, this wasn't their job. They weren't animal experts. This was, you know, there were lawyers and students. And I mean, it was every walk of life, every age. And they didn't have to be there, but they wanted to be there. They wanted to help us save the penguins. So it was a, an incredibly moving thing um, to just see this outpouring of love and concern for these animals. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, kind of an amazing thing. And I, I've got some uh, confused looks here. I've, I've got uh, a studio audience that's packed. They've got signs of penguins, a lot of penguin fans here. And they're looking <laughs> around like, what's he talking about? So if you could just give people like a quick digest, because I kind of brushed over the fact you say 40,000 <laughs> penguins. But uh, if you could just kind of give, you know, the overview of what led to the need for the penguins to be rescued. And then, yes. you know, just kind of a timeline of how long it actually took. Okay, I'll try and do the, the cliff notes, the brief version. Sure. So in, in July of 2000, a ship 
ironically named the treasure, sank off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa. And when she sank, she spilled her fuel oil, which is this very thick, toxic oil. And this was right in the main breeding and foraging grounds of the African penguin, which is the only penguin found in Africa. They're in South Africa and Namibia. And so half of the entire world population was at risk from this oil spill. Yeah. Half, wait, and, oh, let's go slow there. Are you saying oh, sorry. half of the penguins on the planet were at risk? Oh, the, the half of the species of okay, that species. of that particular type of African penguin. Right, of African penguins. Gotcha. Half of the African penguin species, yeah. Wow. See, I was trying to go quickly, but I went too fast. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> uh, and so, so uh, immediately a, a massive rescue effort was launched, and the main rescue center in South Africa is called SANCOB, S-A-N-C-C-O-B, and they've been rescuing oiled penguins and seabirds for, well, at that point, 40 years. Um, and so they immediately put out a call to penguin experts all around the globe. They started calling zoos and aquariums because they knew they'd need the expertise that we had in terms of the husbandry and the handling and, you know, taking care of this species of bird, as well as the expertise in training and supervising volunteers, because they knew they were going to be having to rely on tons of untrained volunteers. Um, and so we got a call and a few days later we were in Cape Town. There were... I was a member of the first team to fly there from the United States. There were eight of us from different zoos and aquariums in the U.S. And the day after we arrived, two of us, myself and my coworker from the New England Aquarium, were put in charge of a room that had more than 4,000 oiled penguins in it. And this building that had been constructed, um, because what happened was the the Sandcob, the rescue center, within three days was bursting at the seams with 5,000 oiled penguins. They were designed to only hold about 2,000. And so they had to build another rescue center from the ground up, which they did in three days' time, again, with the help of tons of volunteers. Um, and so there were 16,000 oiled penguins in that one facility alone, and the other 4,000 were at Sandcob. Um, and so I spent the first nine days at Salt River at this temporary rescue, and then the last half of my time was spent over at Sandcob managing the bird rehab- rehabilitation over there. And so our team, most of us were there for three to four weeks. And, you know, then we kind of had staggered teams of people coming with the expertise to keep, uh, you know, training people and supervising them. And the whole rescue took three months. Um, and there were another 20,000 actually penguins that were rescued the day after we arrived that just before the oil hit their island, they removed them and drove them 500 miles up the coast and release them into clean waters there because they knew if they get oiled as well, they'd be out of luck because there's no more room. There's not enough food. There's not enough volunteers. And they released them 500 miles away and they knew it would probably take them about two weeks to swim back. And they just sort of crossed their fingers and hoped that by the time they get home, the oil would be cleaned up from the environment. And luckily the day they got there, they started to arrive. It was. So 40,000 penguins in all were rescued, and 95% of them were successfully rehabilitated and released back into the wild. So it was the world's largest and most successful animal rescue um, ever undertaken and still stands as such to this day. Amazing. First of all, Mm. awesome job, number one. Thank you. Yeah, that's (laughs) impressive. I mean, I I, I can't say I saved 40,000 of anything. 
never mind <laughs> a living a living creature. And when I when you're when you're describing it, I'm picturing it in my brain. I'm I'm picturing, you know, first you said, you know, there's four thousand oiled penguins in this room. And I'm like, mm. that in and of itself is such an overwhelming thought. Like my first thought when oh, you yeah. said that was like, I'm running away. Like how, how yeah. you know what I mean? Like that is such a daunting task in front of you. Like each one of oh. these things are like alive. They need food. They've got oil. You've mm-hmm. got to clean it up. And oil is a real bitch to clean. Number mm-hmm. one, it's really not easy. So mm-hmm. I can't even imagine like, and then these, these volunteers, like trying to keep these volunteers motivated to keep going. I mean, that must be half the battle. Well, I have to say your response was my response. I literally, when we found out after our first day there, we got our assignments at like one o'clock in the morning after mm-hmm. force feeding penguins all day, our first day at the rescue center. Um, and they said, okay, Heather and Diane, you're going to be in charge of room two. And I, I mean, I, I just, I was absolutely terif- terrified. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Oh my God. I don't know. We don't know what we're doing. Right. Like, how is this even possible? How are we going to do this? And yeah. yeah how are we going to do this? And of course you don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to let the birds down. You, you know, it was a terrifying moment, but you just sort of, I always, you know, I felt like the Nike commercial, just do it. You just have to get in there yeah. and do it and, and not let the overwhelm or the fear or the self doubt get to you. You had to sort yeah. of push that aside and just put one foot in front of the other and, and figure, cause we were there in the very beginning. So we were literally still figuring things out, like sure. the logistics of, managing that many birds in one room and it, it was it was very overwhelming right just, definitely the hardest thing i've ever done in my life i i believe it i mean one penguin mm-hmm. at a time is mm-hmm. is the is got to be the mantra and uh i mean they're not going to clean themselves right so you just got to do it nope. like you said um has a penguin ever attacked you oh yeah <laughs> really <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like you, one... should, you should get a free pass. Like you've saved forty thousand <laughs> penguins. There should be some kind of like penguin telegram that goes out to every pe- pe- uh, penguin out there. Like this one right here, you leave her alone. She gets a free pass. <laughs> that would be nice, but no. What thanks do I get? Uh, no, they definitely. I think penguins. You know, they have this. Not a reputation, but uh, I think a lot of people look at a penguin and they think, "Oh, isn't it so cute?" Yeah. And yeah, they are cute to look at, but they can really, they can be jerks, you know, like yeah. they can be really mean and nasty. And when they bite, they have an incredibly sharp beak, especially African penguins. <laughs> yeah. It's like razor sharp on the edges. Um, and so I am covered with scars Good from Lord. penguin bites. Say it's not mm. true. Really? Oh, I, oh yeah. Holy I mean, they moly. don't bother me at all. I don't care. Um, you know, they're sort of my battle scars. I wear them proudly, but, and, and, and some of those are from, you know, nine years of having to catch a penguin for an an exam at the aquarium or something, you know, and some are from a lot are from South Africa. I mean, there was actually one day in South Africa where I, I got dressed to get in the shower and the, the bathroom was like all mirrors, like floor to ceiling. And I caught a glimpse and from my neck to my ankles, I was literally covered with with wounds wow. and and i thought oh, i need to get a photo of this because this is unbelievable and this was just before digital so it was film yeah and i and i went to get my camera and then i thought oh wait my boyfriend is gonna 
like, you know, when they develop these at the photo booths, like there have been stories of <laughs> people getting reported, like the police would be called, you know, right. <laughs> like it's a, I swear and, it was a like, penguin. It was a penguin. Yeah. I'm like, they're not going to believe me. Oh right. God, so I didn't funny. take the picture, um, but I kind of wish I had. <laughs> so that, yeah. that makes me think, all right, have you ever met a penguin with such a bad attitude and he was such a jerk that you were like, fuck this penguin. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't care about this guy right here. He can, he can take care of himself. I mean, no, I, I would say the meanest, nastiest penguin I ever met was a penguin named Velo, who was an African penguin in our exhibit. And he was like older than dirt and he was so cranky and so mean. And, and one time I was just trying to feed him. He, he would get super territorial during breeding season. Yep. And he and his partner were like, they were great parents. You know, they were, they raised a lot of babies, but they were really vicious about protecting their nest and their territory and their chicks. Yeah. And I remember one time during breeding season, I was just trying to feed the damn bird. And he bit my thumb so hard that I couldn't feel it for two days and it didn't stop bleeding for three days. Good Lord. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he just sliced right through it. I mean, it was bad. Little bastard. Yeah. Um, but I still took care of him. It didn't stop me from taking care of him, but I swore at him. That's true love <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for for an animal right there. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned, uh, you know, that they, the, the mating ritual and, and being protective. So I've done a little bit of research on penguins. I know almost nothing. But what I know <laughs> is that, A, um, they can be super brutal when it comes to, like, when men, when, when male penguins are trying to get a mate. And they have these battles, and mm. I, I and if I get this wrong, please correct me. But my understanding is that they kind of fight for the right to be with a mate, and they just beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like it was really violent, and not always to the point of death or or close to it, but almost always to the point where somebody's just like, "All right, fine, you can have her." Um, yeah. <laughs> right. I'll try my luck down at the bar or whatever, but it's like, yeah. that, that is some extreme brutality for, for mating rituals. And then go to the end of that equation. And when there's an egg, and again, mm. if I get this wrong, tell me I'm wrong. The, the male sits on the egg and the female does this crazy trek to go get food. And mm-hmm. in many cases, the female doesn't make it back as it gets eaten or whatever happens. And the male is just out of luck and either has to take off and give up on the egg, in which case it dies. I mean, it just, I guess my point is it seems like a very fragile way to get a mate to, to have kids. I mean, it's not surprising that the the numbers aren't plentiful of penguins. I mean, there's a lot of math that has to work out perfectly. It's a kind of a brutal, harsh lifestyle for penguins. So I'm guessing the first, so I'm going to answer that in two parts because there were two parts to that. So the first part about the the territorial, the fighting, I'm guessing you probably saw there's a video out there about two Magellanic penguins and there's this battle, like a 15 minute battle between, and they think it's two females actually fighting over a male. Oh, geez. And it's bloody. I mean, it is so bloody. Uh, it's a really, br- like, I, I was putting together a presentation once for a lecture at Hunter College in New York, yeah. and and I'm like, I don't even think I can show this video because I think it's too disturbing, so I just did a screenshot of it because it, it was just, it's disturbing. Yeah, yeah, so they really will beat the crap out of each other, you know, really brutal. Um, so, yeah, they can be pretty mean and nasty when it's 
when they're fighting over a mate or territory. Um, and then in terms of the second part about the the male sitting on the egg and the females going off for a couple months to feed, that is only with the emperor penguin. Aha. And aha. Okay. <laughs> aha. See? And it's a big misconception among, you know, most people believe that this is what all penguins do because of the movie, the documentary March of the Penguins, yes. which was about emperor penguins. It's a beautifully done documentary. You know, they really got all the information correct. They did anthropomorphize the relationship a little bit because actually emperor penguins are the least monogamous of all the penguin species. And is they made it right? sound like, yeah, yeah, because they have more pressure to get through their breeding season because they are actually breeding in the middle of the Antarctic winter. <laughs> So you I know, love that. I they love that. hey, give them, give them a break. They gotta they gotta be promiscuous. They they're under pressure. Yeah, they gotta get yeah. this thing going here. Yeah, oh they don't necessarily God. have time to wait for last year's mate. Right. So they will be monogamous for the season, but usually they pick a new mate every season or every other season. Good so they Lord. don't usually wait around for last year's partner. Um, so they with the emperor penguin. Yeah, the female lays the egg. She transfers it onto the male's feet, and then she heads off to the ocean. And she's gone for two months. Feeding, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, all these males are sitting there fasting for those two months. They yeah. can't eat, they can't move, you know. And if that female does not return, they have to abandon the 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 chick, the right. egg, they'll because because yeah, they'll die. So <laughs> they'll abandon it. Every other penguin species, the male and female take turns um, okay. incubating the egg, and then of course they all take turns raising the chick, feeding the chick. A little bit yeah. more democratic there. Yeah. Um, so w when you mentioned that they get a new mate every season, I, I went back. To, what kind of penguins were having that fight? What'd you call them? Madeline. Oh, Magellanic. Magellanic. And they okay. have, yeah. Are those In ones South that have America. Like, those, like they have that like headdress almost. Oh, those are rockhoppers. Oh, those are, those rock are probably rockhoppers. Okay. Well, there are seven crested species. So it could be macaroni or rockhopper with the yellow feathers on their head. Yeah, they did that. Yes. But I, yes, I'm going to say a tentative yes. But okay. I'm not sure. I, I guess where I was going with that was, you know, you go through this 15-minute brawl where you're like, whether you're a male or a female penguin, you're trying to get a mate, you finally are victorious, right? 15 minutes, you yeah. almost lose your life. You get your mate. And then the next season, it's like, yeah, well, let's start over. Let's <laughs> <laughs> You got to let's go back to the back, back of the line, kids. Well, yeah, it depends. So, so I should say um, each species is more or less monogamous than others. Okay. So, so for that Magellanic penguin and that fight that I was talking about, that species is actually very monogamous because they live in a warmer climate. Okay. They live in a very temperate climate. And so they don't have that same pressure to hurry up and get through a breeding season. That makes sense. So they have, you know, they can kind of chill out, relax, wait for last year's mate to show up. Um, and so they do tend to stay together for many, many, many years, as do African penguins. They tend to mate for life. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So it depends on the species and what uh, region they live in, you know, what the climate is where they live. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's, that's really neat. I see. See, we are learning things on the No Outlet podcast tonight, and I love it. All right, so <laughs> awesome. penguins are a, a unique creature. You know, I made they're, – they're, they're a bird. They're a seabird, but they don't mm -hmm. fly. They're, mm -hmm. you know, very elegant swimmers, but they're not great walkers. Like, they've got these weird things, and they obviously have a couple different characteristic traits that are unique. Of all the behavior that you know to be true when it comes to penguins of any variety, what would be the one thing that you could tell our audience that they might be kind of the most surprised to hear or would be like the most unique or compelling? Like 
odd little trait about penguins? In terms of their behavior? Uh, yeah, yeah, or anything. Or, you can take that anywhere any- you want to go. Sure, it could be, I was thinking behavior, but right. if there's a better answer than doesn't involve behavior, let's go there. Uh, what would be the most unique thing that they might not know? Oh, my goodness. Or like an odd characteristic, like an odd trait, like, um, I mean. Um, uh, oh, gosh. I'm trying to think of something that would be unusual. Of course, I can't. I'll think of it as soon as we hang up. Okay, so um, there are, <laughs> let, let's do it this way. So they, they, eat, they eat smaller fish, right? Mm-hmm. And they get eaten by, I'm assuming, and I'm going to make this up, in the colder areas they're getting eaten by polar bears is that right no no okay who do they opposite hemispheres opposite hemispheres so Uh, here here we go all right so (laughs) so uh polar bears are in the northern hemisphere all penguins are in the southern hemisphere okay so here's something actually that people uh, something a little unusual that people don't know um so all penguins are in the southern hemisphere but there's this one little teeny tiny exception to that Mm -hmm. uh which most people are not aware of and that is, and I didn't even used to know this, um, is that there are a handful of Galapagos penguins that nest just above the equator Ooh. on Isabella Rebels. Island. Yep. Yes. So the island straddles the equator. Okay. And so there's just about a dozen nests that are right above the equator in the northern hemisphere. So, you know, we always say all penguins live in the in the southern hemisphere, but there are a couple of them that make their way into the northern hemisphere. I call that group of penguins the smartest penguins. <laughs> right? Because they're living in like this warm water. I, but the African penguins must too. And South America they, or Well, here's the thing. They they don't they all live along cold ocean currents. So okay. even Though the Galapagos penguins are right on the equator, which is right the hottest place on the planet on sure. the equator, um, they have a cold water current that that flows past their islands, the Humboldt Current, which comes up from Antarctica, and that's mm-hmm. why they can live there because that cold water current is more nutrient rich and has more fish and squid and krill and the things that penguins like to eat in it. Gotcha. Um, and so that's why they can live, survive where they are in the Galapagos Islands. But it's also why especially the Galapagos penguin is so negatively affected in El Nino years. Okay. Because during El Nino years, that current gets pushed backwards, like the hot, the warm water gets pushed towards the island, and then there's less food, and they have these starvation events during El Nino, of year, uh, El Nino years. Oh, that's cool. That's mm. awesome. Um, still, I, I like those. I like that, that the style of that penguin, you know, just like, we're going to do it our own way. We're going up to the northern mm-hmm. hemisphere. You guys can do your own thing. We're right up here. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you think it's kind of kind of bullshit the way that penguins are represented in the Batman comic books? Like, the kind of, like, disgusting, fat, gross, slow, evil, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the penguin is, like, this terrible, terrible villain. Um, that's got to, like, that's got to upset you a little bit, right? It's kind of unfair to penguins, don't you think? Well, yeah, I mean, they're really, they're just being themselves. They're not evil. They're just, you know, they're surviving like the rest of us. Right. I just feel yeah. like, you know, you know, and you're obviously, I'm not sure if you're a Batman fan or not, but one of his arch nemesis enemies is this creature called the Penguin. The Penguin, yeah. The Penguin. And he's like this, I think his real name is like something Hobblepot, or I forget his name, but he kind of walks like a penguin, looks like a penguin. 
Um, and it's just like, you know, I think it's unfair to take these poor penguins that are just trying to just trying to live life, trying to get a mate. They're fighting their asses off trying to get a mate, and, and here comes Batman just going to Throwing them under the bus. Yeah, throwing yeah. them under the bus. I don't like that. I don't like, I'm not yeah. sure I'd like that. All right, so I know that I'm assuming, anyways, that COVID has slowed down uh, potential trips that you might have had planned mm. or that you were thinking mm-hmm. about planning or whatever. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything that's – now being planned or is in the works or you're thinking about like is to have things opened up in that regard you know i the last two so 2018 and 2019 i was a global perspective guest speaker for lindblad expeditions and national geographic um in antarctica and south georgia and the falklands on their their trips that bring tourists down there and so of course that all has come to a grinding halt along with, you know, all sorts of travel like that. Um, and I just heard from them last week, um, you know, they're saying if and when things open back up again, they're just starting their trips to the Galapagos and I think Alaska, there were two locations. They're just kind of slowly gearing back up for their trips. Um, so they're not back in Antarctica yet, but they said, you know, when we do would you like to come back? I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yes, I would. Thank you, please. Yeah. Um, so uh, fingers crossed, you know, and actually I was also, I am potentially supposed to go back with another group um, March of next year. Again, you know, we'll see how things go. Right. I, I just actually today heard that, I guess, Princess, I mean, this isn't the type of cruising that I do, um, but <laughs> right. I'm not interested uh, in being on a floating city. Yeah, um, yep. But they apparently, I just heard this on the radio today, are are asking for volunteers to test out, you know, to come on the ship and see if they can really safely do this type of thing now. Gotcha. Uh, I won't be volunteering for that, but they are looking for volunteers apparently for that. Yeah, I did. I read that same article. It's really mm. interesting how that whole industry has been just hampered. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you've been all over the world. Uh, I know you've been to Galapagos. You've obviously been to Africa. You've been to, I believe, Antarctica um, mm-hmm. as well. So of all those locations that you've been to mm. in pursuit of penguins and learning <laughs> about them and saving them, what was the one location that you got to and like aside from the work that you had that was there to do with the penguins, what was the one place you went to and just like, wow, this is what an amazing place this is. Like, this is just yeah. stunning. Even if I weren't doing anything with penguins, I'd yeah. want to come here. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say now there are two. I, but Antarctica is wow. just, Antarctica is unbelievable. It's, I, I, it's so hard to describe it because it's just otherworldly. Yeah. You feel as though you've just been dropped onto another planet. It's, I believe it's it. unlike any place else I've ever been. And I think the thing, one of the things about it that is so remarkable, I mean, it's so remote, you know, it's so difficult to get there. And when you do get there, it's just, it's pristine. It's silent. You know, there's no planes overhead. There's no cars going by. It's right. just, it's, it's nature. And, and it's this full immersion experience and it is so vast. You, you can't even understand the scale of it until you see like a ship at the base of this mountain that you thought was maybe 300 feet high. And then you realize, oh, that's a 4,000 foot high cliff. Uh, It's just massive. And Yeah. yeah, it's unlike any place I've ever been. And it's, and it does get into your blood. They say, 
you know, it gets, it gets under your, into your blood and it really does. You just want to go back. Really? Um, yeah. Oh wow. yeah. I mean, I, I've been now four times. I just want to keep going back. It, it's amazing. different, you know, every time, every day, every 15 minutes, it's different because the weather changes so rapidly, right. you know, it could be beautiful blue skies. And then 15 minutes later, you're in a blizzard. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's just, it's wild nature. And then the other place, you know, everybody said, well, wait till you go to South Georgia. I'm like, really? I don't know. And they said, just wait. And so when I did go to South Georgia um, two years ago, uh, another blew my mind. It, it's, it's in a different way. It's more wild and raw and primal and, you know, teeming with wildlife. Yeah. And the wind is blowing like crazy. And it just was another extraordinary, just so beautiful. Um, and, and cool. you know, there's 400,000 king penguins there. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, so when I, so I'm thinking, you know, about going to Antarctica, which I, I'm pretty <gasps> sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, what, what, <laughs> you I, have to go. I have to rephrase that. Um, okay. Let me, let me start over. I'm never okay. going to Antarctica, number one. Okay. <laughs> but I'm thinking about what it would take to go. And, and so my, my brain first, I'm not a very good flyer. So my first thought oh. is, okay, do you have to land on like a sheet of ice? The answer has got to be yes. <laughs> right? No. 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 Okay. No. That's good. Do you? How do you feel about ships? Well, are there icebergs everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure there how are. I feel about. Okay, well, there are. There are a lot of icebergs. So, actually. have you have you only ever taken a boat there? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. there's only two ways to get there. So, the way most people get there is you fly from wherever you are in the world yes. to uh, Ushuaia, Argentina, which is the very southernmost tip of South America. Okay. And so from Boston, where we are, to Ushuaia, that's like 30 hours of flying just to get there. Good Lord. It's a long haul. It's like a whole day just to get there. Yep. And then you get board a ship there. And so um, then you have to cross the dreaded Drake Passage, which has some of the most violent seas on the planet. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so you bring your anti-nausea pills or medication, or whatever you need. Um, and it can have seas up to 40, 50, 60 feet high. Get um, out. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'd rather be on a plane on an ice runway, I think. <laughs> now, I sh you know, sometimes you get what's called Lake Drake, which is really flat and calm. And I have experienced that a few times. Okay. And then you get the Drake Shake. So the worst seas I've been in, I think, are 35 feet. Which on one of those huge ships, if you are on a ship with stabilizers, is not as bad as you would think. Right. I mean, you sometimes do get hit with these sort of rogue waves, and that's when like all the dishes go sliding off the dining room table, and chairs go over, and you know, so it, I woke up in in midair more than once at night. Um, yeah. So you know that part of it is the adventurous part of it, but once you reach the peninsula, and uh -huh. it takes between one and a half and two and a half days, depending on the weather, how bad the seas are. Once you reach the peninsula, it's calm. <laughs> it's okay. calm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So once you're down there, you know, it, it's, I, I, you know, I, I've not had children, but I, I've been told that you sort of forget how horrible the, the labor and delivery is. Otherwise you'd never do it again. Right. And I think it's sort of like that. You sort of forget how horrible the Drake was once you're there because you're just in like this magic land, yeah. you know, 
And so, yeah. So, so once you're there, it's it's much calmer. So then my next, first of all, thank you for clarifying how you get there because I didn't, I, I guess I did know you could get there by boat, but I didn't realize that was the more common way. So the yeah. other thing I think of is, all right, um, you know, what, what are the restrictions on what you can bring? What kind of food? Everything's, everything is brought in from someplace. So everything's got to be like rationed. I'm sure when you're there and you're on your own. Oh. Like, is, okay. is, are there restrictions on what you can bring in? Are there restrictions on, you know, are you eating like ready to meet, eat meals like the army does? Like how, <laughs> how, how rough is it? Or is it, or are you staying on the cruise ship the whole time? You're staying on the ship. Yes. Okay. I, I, okay. yes. You are, you were living on the ship. Okay. So you only go on to land onto shore like twice a day, okay. typically twice a day, you'll have a landing and you all climb into a Zodiac and they have to bring you out, you know, like a dozen people at a time. So they have about a dozen do- Zodiacs and they they bring you, which is like a little rubber dinghy, sure. you know, motorized. Yep. And they bring you on shore. And so you'll spend a couple hours on shore in the morning and then again in the afternoon. So everything, I mean, you're actually, d- depending on what company you travel with, you know, some it's sort of like glamping, you know, yep, like yep. the the lower price ones, you can, you'll still get there and all the food is good. I've never had bad food, even on the, the cheaper ships. Okay. Um, the berths aren't as comfortable maybe on the, you know, it's not as luxurious on the cheaper ship, yep. but if you go like with a Lindblad, Nat Geo, it's gorgeous. I mean, and the food is unbelievable and there's a lounge and, you know, it's very, and their naturalists are incredible, all top notch. So you can have, you know, depending on what you want to spend and what kind of experience you want to have, you can find a company that will accommodate that experience. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess yeah. I was picturing, you know, when I think about a trip to Antarctica, I was thinking all the worst scenarios. I was thinking a flight <laughs> in. Then I was thinking, like, you're pitching a tent. You've got, like, you know, like base camp, base camp penguin. Right. <laughs> and you're in this, like, terrible situation where it's like the wind is whipping outside. But you're you're, going, you're doing it the smart way. Stay on the boat. Yeah. Nice and easy. I used to work for a company um, called Vantage Deluxe World Travel out of Boston. And they offered an Antarctica trip. Uh, oh. They would only do – it was limited. I think they did two or four a year. And they would sell out two years in advance. Wow. And it was one of our best selling – there weren't a lot of seats on it. But it always sold out quicker than all the other tours because – you know, it's such a it's such a unique place to go, and so when it mm-hmm. opens up, it's like, yeah, sure, boom, and forty people sign yeah. up, no problem. Yeah, <clears throat> that's cool. And I should say too, in the beginning, when you asked me this question, there is one other way that some people go. Okay, um, there are plane tours from New Zealand, but they don't land; they just kind of go and they fly over Antarctica, so you see it from the air, and then you just fly back. It's like a you know, you don't even land. Gotcha. So that's the other way that that some people go. Now they are talking about starting to potentially have flights across the Drake Passage. I don't know. I I've got to look into see if that is really going to happen or not. Yeah. Um, what the progress is with that, but they've talked about that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, again, I'm glad that there are people like you that are willing to go down there because I don't think I ever will. But <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm experiencing it through you, and I and I appreciate that. Okay, good. Um, now let's let's ask a couple of non-penguin questions to get a sense for who you are and and what you like. What's your favorite TV show right now? It doesn't have to be of all time, but and it, don't it, it can be anything. I'm watching some cheesy, terrible shows right now because they're entertaining. But 
if you watch TV, and maybe you don't, but if you watch TV, what show are you really enjoying right now? A current show, a contemporary show that's actually on right now that I'm enjoying is Murdoch Mysteries. Murdoch it's a Canadian show. Mysteries. Never heard of it. Is on Murdoch Netflix? Mysteries. No, it's, I think, TLC. No, I can't even remember what channel it is. Okay. But it's a Canadian show, and it's, it's, it's very um, retro. It takes place around the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a, he's a detective. He's sort of like a Sherlock Holmes type detective. You know, he just makes these connections in his brain. And um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. It's a little bit of mystery, a little bit of history thrown in there. Like they'll throw in these historical, actual historical characters as oh, well cool. that they make guest appearances on the show. Yeah, it's interesting. It's actually kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. There have been a couple of, uh, once in a while, Sherlock Holmes will throw in like a real person from history. Um, yeah. And I was like that. Yeah, like they've, they've had Sherlock Holmes, like a young Sherlock Holmes on this show. Oh, that's you cool. Know? And it's oftentimes like sort of before they are who they become. So you're right. seeing them at an earlier point in their development, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting. The yeah. embryonic Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, still <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah. What, what book are you reading right now? Uh, what book am I reading right now? Or the now? last <laughs> book you read? Well, okay. So the last book I read was Endurance okay. about Shackleton's journey. Oh, and okay. yeah. Oh, it's a, such a good book. So if people don't know who Shackleton is, I won't, it's, I could talk about him forever, but uh, he was this explorer and his ship got trapped in the ice in Antarctica for two years. Jesus. They ended up, oh yeah, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy good book. He is like, I'm such a huge fan. Um, he really was an incredible leader. He saved all of his men. He didn't, it, for two and a half years, they were trapped um, and he didn't lose a man. He got on this little teeny tiny 22 foot boat and sailed from Elephant Island, which is on the tip of uh, Antarctica, over to South Georgia, 800 miles wow. uh, to because he knew there was a whaling station there. And I don't know how they survived. I mean, it's miraculous. And then it took four months before he could get a ship that would go back to Elephant Island to save the rest of the men that were there and they did i mean there's so much more to the story than that but um yeah so endurance uh is an incredible book an incredible story i love historical nonfiction of almost any variety you know if it's a Mm. real story i'm there for it so that sound that Mm -hmm. sounds good uh it sounds like i highly recommend it that my dad would like to i'll point that out to him also all right so we're down to the last two questions here you've been a great sport i really appreciate it um, second last question, uh, Facebook, in your yeah. opinion, mostly good or mostly bad? Oh, well, personally, mostly good because that's how I stay in touch with so many of my friends. There you go. Um, I know, you know, it started for young people and then us old farts sort of took it over. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> we take everything over. <laughs> but, you know, I started, I, I, I resisted getting on Facebook for a long time. Yeah. And then w- when I was writing my book in 2009, um, I, I, I was, I literally like didn't do anything. I didn't go out. I didn't, I didn't see anybody for like a year and a half. Yeah. And so it became my social connection. My social lifeline was that was the only way, you know, yeah. I'd have a break and I would, I would contact, you know, I'd get in touch with people. And also I used it to find people 
to interview for my book. Like I found all these people in South Africa that I had worked with that I had no other way to get in touch with. I found them on Facebook. Yeah. So I was able to get back in touch with all these people and I'm still in touch with them to this day, you know, because of Facebook. So for me personally, I really enjoy it. It's a time suck. I spend too much time on it actually. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and I like to ask that I've asked that question of a lot of people. And I think the, you know, the, the best answers that I've got have all kind of fall in the same bucket that yours did, which is you like it because you use it for what is going to be beneficial for, you know, and helpful and positive. Mm-hmm. Whereas some mm-hmm. people you can get caught up in the tidal wave of negativity and it, it it's a different story, but if you can control it and don't let it control you, it's a huge yeah. positive. I used to love being on there, you know, to, to just communicate with my family and my friends and people that I wouldn't normally see and talk to and, so I, I do miss that. Um, all right. So last question. Um, okay. People that are listening, you should, first of all, you should see the audience. They are going crazy, going crazy. <laughs> um, and the people that are listening, plus the people in the audience here, uh, this is kind of a two-part question, so I cheated a little bit. But where can they find uh, out more about, A, how to help uh, causes that are pro-penguin, um, mm. and then B, how can they learn more about you? Do you have a website? Do you have an Instagram page? Like where can people learn more about the penguin lady? So, um, I do have a penguin lady Facebook page. Okay. Um, I, uh, to be honest, I don't post on it as often as I should, but the penguin lady on Facebook. Um, and then I do have a website, thepenguinlady.com. And there's a lot of information about me on there, a lot of, you know, videos of talks I've done and radio interviews and podcast interviews. And then there's also, for the first part of your question about what can people do if they want to help penguins, the same thing on my website, uh, thepenguinlady.com. If you go to the top right uh, in the navigation bar, there's a help penguins. And if you click on that, I think it's the second drop down is, is donate. And you can click on there and it will bring up a list of many, many penguin rescue centers throughout the Southern Hemisphere with links directly to their page that you can donate to to help support the work that they're doing. And so those have all been vetted by me. These are all people that I know personally or, you know, um, I I donate to them myself. You know, part of my mission as a penguin lady is to raise awareness and funding to protect penguins. So I donate part of my proceeds from my book and from every lecture and appearance to, you know, these various groups throughout the Southern Hemisphere. Love it. So if you're interested in helping out the penguins, go to her website, thepenguinlady.com. All the places you can donate are Penguin Lady approved, so feel good about (laughs) it. And, uh, Diane, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, Miss doing improv with you. Um, Yeah. and, And I really do appreciate your time, and it's such a cool thing to be that you know, into uh, another living creature. It really is. It, it's uh, it's all positive. I respect you immensely for it. And I'm sure that all of those 40,000 penguins thank you as well. Um, uh, so thank you for being on the show. And I, I hope you have a great night. Thank you so much, Ethan. It was my pleasure. It was really fun. Thanks. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye.